Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Nehemiah chapter 1. These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Halakiah. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit with me and some other men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, Things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed with fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands. Listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people, Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying the commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Please remember what you told your servant Moses. If you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, then even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth, I will bring you back to the place I have chosen for my name to be honoured. The people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants, O Lord. Please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those of us who delight in honouring you. Please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Thanks, Becky. Uh, that's great. We're now going to hand over to Colin, who's going to start our new sermon series on Nehemiah um, by preaching on the passage that, that Becky's just read, Nehemiah chapter one. So over to you, Colin. Thanks, Andy. It's great to be with you this morning. I don't know if you can think back to times when you heard some news and uh, it is totally kind of gripped you. And uh, in fact, you can't, you, even now, you can uh, remember it quite uh, vividly. I remember driving back from holiday and hearing on the radio about that massive bomb that went off in the centre of Manchester. Years later, I was actually in the office at Kingsburn Hall and uh, Mary rang me and said, you must go and switch on the television terrible things are happening in New York to the Twin Towers and uh, I remember as I was watching it thinking just a few days earlier I had actually flown that route Boston to New York it's a reasonably regular trip for me in those days and so it's kind of indelibly uh, painted on my, on my mind and uh, I, I can almost uh, visualize uh, those uh, just sitting there watching it Years earlier than that, I remember um, uh, on the television terrible scenes of a famine in Ethiopia. 
And uh, on one of those uh, uh, video uh, news clips, uh, a rock star, Bob Geldof, was walking around, uh, meeting people, showing just the devastation and starvation of people, just people, malnutrition, and young kids that just look almost like skeletons. And um, it had a massive effect on Bob Geldof. He came back from that and uh, basically uh, committed himself to raising millions of dollars, millions of pounds for it. And so very quickly he organized a, uh, a rock concert, about a 16 hour rock concert. And uh, he satellite that, all around the world, in fact, over a, I think it was a billion people could have actually uh, watched it. And uh, I remember Mary herself sitting there just uh, watching and, and taking it all in. And it was one of the first times that they had kind of people uh, uh, say, now, please give, please give, please give. That's quite a regular feature now of, of uh, other uh, uh, money raising schemes on, on the TV. But it was quite new in those days and so they actually raised 125 million dollars which was a massive amount uh, they released a single as well to help raise money and we even play that now every christmas do they know it's christmas and uh, you'll often hear that on the radio uh, and in shops you know news can have massive impact on individuals and actually can change their lives and we're starting this series on nehemiah and uh, he was a man like Bob Geldof, who was shaped by hearing tragic news. Now, Nehemiah, he had a very, very comfortable life. He lived in a royal palace. His job as a cupbearer <clears throat> meant he was the personal companion of the leader of the Persian Empire. You know, that's like the world superpower. It's like being next to uh, the... Um, leader of the United States or China, uh, or India, um, USSR. It's, uh, he had an, an amazing privileged position and uh, he would have considerable influence. He would be like a personal confidant to the emperor. And uh, he heard some terrible news. And uh, it says this, that uh, one of my brothers came to visit me with some men who had just arrived from Judah. I asked him about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about things were going on in Jerusalem. You see, he, his descendants had come from Jerusalem. They were part of that captivity that he talked about. In fact, his role as the uh, kind of confidant, the cupbearer to the emperor was amazingly good considering his ancestors had actually been prisoners of war and uh, he knew all about that and he wanted to know some of my people have gone back they're building the temple they're building the wall what's happening there and they actually said things are not going that well for those who return to the province of judah they're in great trouble and disgrace the walls of jerusalem have been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire Nehemiah's response was exactly the response that Bob Geldof had, total compassion. He said this, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. 
you know, the news caused massive gut reaction. It affected him emotionally. Compassion literally means to suffer together. It's defined as the feelings that arise when you're confronted with another's suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. That was exactly Bob Geldof's reaction as he witnessed people dying of hunger in Ethiopia. Nehemiah says, sat down and cried. And the news impacted him so much that it said he mourned for days. He just couldn't let it go. He was having this amazingly comfortable life. And his fellow countrymen were in grave danger of death. Crying led to fasting and prayer. He was a man gripped with compassion and it was totally consuming him. It's exactly the same response actually as Jesus had in Matthew 9.36. He had been healing the sick day by day, village by village. And one day he kind of saw a village and then he kind of, in his mind's eye, he saw all the villages of Israel that he had yet to get to. And he just knew there was not going to be enough time to, to get there. And it says this, when he saw the crowds, that's in his mind's eye, he had compassion on them. That word again. Because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So back to Nehemiah. We see that Nehemiah's compassion led him to pray. Actually, I want to look at this prayer now. And what we'll notice is this. It's not a prayer of desperation and downbeat. It did have confession and it did have repentance. But overall, it's a prayer full of confidence. And in these days, we need to know how to pray with confidence. So much uh, affects our confidence. And... Uh, I want you to look, how did Nehemiah keep his confidence up when he was a thousand miles away, when he was kind of overwhelmed with grief at what was happening? So verse 6 says this, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God. So the first thing Nehemiah does to build up his confidence is he leans into the power of God. Confidence comes by getting our minds set on the great and awesome God. So often we get our minds on the problem. A bit like Andy said, sometimes we have a, a mobile phone next to us and our minds are so consumed with what's happening on the phone that we lose track of what is happening uh, around and what we should be engaging in. And uh, Nehemiah, he set his mind on the awesome, mighty God. There was an old chorus that used to say this, the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You know, as we get into the glory, the grace, the love, the power, the majesty of God, the creator of the universe, the eternal one, as the Puritans used to often say, pray to the eternal one. The eternal one. Jesus said this, hallowed be your name, our Father in heaven. So important that we focus not on the problem, not on our feelings, 
but on God. Paul could say this, now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we ask or think. Wow, he's able to accomplish infinitely more. Infinitely is a, a God word. Majesty, always there. And so let's make sure that when we are asking God for things, let's make sure that we are, our minds are set in heaven, that our minds are set to the king of the universe. So the second thing he does, he leans into the character of God. It says, God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with all those who love him and obey his commands. You know, Psalm 118, which I've been preaching on and reading just recently, says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. You know, God is good all the time. Nehemiah understood that. And understanding the goodness of God, the character of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, that's what we lead into. God's power, God's authority, and God's character. God is good. And then it leads into the forgiveness of God. You know, confidence comes when we know we're okay. That our sins are forgiven. That God will answer our prayers because of his great mercy and love not because we're good enough. Verse 6 says this, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly by not obeying your commands, decrees and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Sometimes we kind of don't identify confidence and confession. Sometimes we think they're kind of in, in two different worlds, but actually they're so intricately linked. Knowing that we are okay. That God said, Colin, you're okay. You know, it's great words. It's great confirmation. It builds confidence. John in his letter near the end of his life, says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse, cleanse us from all wickedness. You know, we're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart for God. Knowing that God forgives us, actually builds our confidence. And then Nehemiah, he leant into the promises of God, verse 8. He says this, please remember God what you told your servant Moses. He said, if you are unfaithful to me, I will scatter you among the nations. And Nehemiah's forefathers totally understood that. They were unfaithful and Nebuchadnezzar totally destroyed the city and took them as prisoners of war back to Babylon. But the promise carries on. But if you return to me and obey my commands and live by them, 
even if you are exiled to the ends of the earth and were exiled, I will bring you back to this place I have chosen for my name to be honored. Nehemiah understood that's exactly what had happened. They'd been taken away from, the, from Jerusalem and now they were taken back. But you see, Nehemiah also understood this, that there was only a par partial re uh, restoration. Yes, they'd gone back, but actually the city still hadn't been built. And so basically Nehemiah said, God, you promised. You promised that you would bring us back. And bringing them back meant the temple, the city, the nation. And so he was leading into the promises of God. Verse 10, he says this, the people you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. Wow, you can see, can't you? It's basically saying, God, you promised. You promised to restore us. Hear our prayer, Lord God. You know, it's really important that we lead into the promises of God. Paul could say this, and this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus, as he writes to the Philippians. You know, I mentioned earlier that Jesus was overcome with compassion as he looked at the nation of Israel and looked at the villages that he had managed to get to and saw that there was far more villages to get to. He knew he was going to die at some point reasonably quickly. He praised that prayer. And then he says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So he said to his disciples, pray to the Lord of the harvest, who is in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into his field. You see, compassion for Jesus led to prayer. And he wanted his disciples to understand that actually compassion should lead to prayer, but confident prayer. And the confident praying is this, it might be a big harvest field and there may be a few of you. You know, we have small churches, we have small communities, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 people. Small when you're even looking at South Manchester, Burnage, Didsbury, etc. So let's pray to the Lord of the harvest. Let's ask him, send workers into the field. God, would you do that even now? I want to pray for more workers into the harvest field of South Manchester. I want to pray into Tameside. I want to pray, Lord God, down into Stockport. I want to pray, Lord God, that, Lord, as we look at the city of Manchester, would you send workers? Confident, Lord God, that you promise if we ask the Lord of the harvest, then he would do it. You can see how I'm leaning into the promise of the of the Bible. So many promises there. Let's make sure we're reading them, we're praying them, we're actually praying Bible prayers. And then as we see in Jesus in Matthew 9, he goes on to address his disciples. He tells them, actually, you're going to have to put some skin in the game. You're going to have to actually be part of the answer to your prayer. 
he says to them that actually I'm going to send you out now in twos. It's interesting, isn't it? That sometimes God wants us to pray and also be part of the answer to that prayer. How many times has that happened to you? That you've prayed and then God said, now you do it. Pray for somebody who's ill. and God says, now you go and lay hands on them. You pray for somebody with financial needs and God says, hey, come on, why don't you do it? It doesn't always work like that, but sometimes it does. And we see in the short chapter of Nehemiah that basically the third thing that Nehemiah had to do was actually commit himself to be part of the answer to the problem. Compassion, then leaning in to who God is, praying, and now commitment. Nehemiah 1 verse 11 said this, please grant me success today by making the king favourable to me. Put into his heart to be kind to me. What a prayer. Here is the ruler of the world superpower. And Nehemiah, knowing that he's got to go back to Jerusalem to help his people, is going to hand his notice in. Now, we may think, what the big deal is that? Why? It mean the king might be upset, but, you know, it's not the biggest deal. Well, it was a reasonably big deal when the king is a dictator, when the king feels like everybody there is there to serve him, to worship him, to look after him. Go in and handing you notice him was basically like asking to be killed. You see, why would anybody not want to be with the king? That was what the king would think. And so Nehemiah knew this, that it was a massive risk for him to leave this job and go back a thousand miles to help build the walls. You know, commitment isn't a popular word today. Being committed to something, saying, yes, I'm going to do it. You know, we love the fact that God is committed to us. We love to just worship and enjoy God's total commitment to us. You know, Romans 5, 6 says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at the, just the right time and died for us sinners. You know, when we're utterly helpless, God was committed to us. We need to, to demonstrate the character of God in our lives by commitment. Being committed to things. Giving ourselves to things. Giving ourselves to our spouses. Giving ourselves to the church. Giving ourselves to... Whatever God wants us to do, let's not devalue commitment. Actually, let's value commitment because it's part of the character of God. God is so committed to us. He took us when we were utterly helpless and brought us back 
to be sons and daughters of God. So, just a great opening chapter. Nehemiah moved with compassion, prayed with confidence, and then committed himself to being part of the answer. God wants a church like that. God wants individuals like that. God wants a people like Nehemiah. Let's pray. God, you who were rich in mercy, loved us so much that you sent your only dear begotten son, Jesus Christ, to become a human, to walk amongst us, to feel our pain, to feel our compassion, to mourn, to weep, to laugh, to cry, to die. To take the sin of the whole world. It is finished. It is done. Sin has dealt with. Death is defeated. God, we thank you that this Jesus rose from the grave. Hallelujah. Rose from the grave and is now seated at your right hand, full of compassion, full of commitment. Lord God, I thank you and bless you that he is even praying now for us, day by day, night by night, interceding for the people that he saved, set free, redeemed. And we bless you for that, Lord God. Amen.